Relatively Geeky presents The Book Guy Show, Doctor Who Segments. We started February by representing M&I's appearance on Who True Freaks. And now as we're moving towards the end of the crossover event, we are representing clips from a few Who-themed episodes of The Book Guy Show, which was my first regular podcasting gig. There should be one more Short Box Showcase episode coming soon, covering our time at the Gallifrey One convention. And on that episode, we will cover all of the February feedback we've received. And then also, technically speaking, there will be another Doctor Who comic segment on the next Comics Reading Journal. But we are on the back half of the February event. So let me tell you what you are about to listen to. We have a segment from Book Guys 90 from all the way back in May 2013. Paul the Book Guy and I talked with Mark Townsend and Rob Green about their hobby of building Daleks and then cosplaying as them at conventions. And among the stories they tell is one about how difficult it is to get a Dalek to cross national boundaries. And at the start of that segment, you hear them as Daleks arriving on the podcast and taking over the show, if you will. After that, and after probably a promo, you'll hear some segments from episode 93 from March 2014. You'll hear the intro of the show, my What Are You Reading segment, and then we move into the main event, my interview with our old buddy Shag about Doctor Who books and comics and Big Finish audio. And stay to the end for another special segment featuring our Dalek cosplayers. Remember that these clips are from at least five years ago. So the context is the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who. Torchwood Miracle Day was recent. Titan Comics had just barely gotten the license. We'd had no Peter Capaldi episodes at this point, much less Jodie Whittaker. So a reference or two, and a prediction or two, and a comment or two may seem a little dated. But there is still a lot of good content in these clips, I think. So enjoy. And of course, a big thank you goes out to Paul Alvis, Paul the Book Guy, mastermind behind the Book Guy's show for letting us repurpose this audio. And a big thanks to Paul for inviting me to guest on an episode seven years ago to talk about comics, and then inviting me to be a semi-regular co-host, which was, as I said, my first podcasting venture. So if you don't like what we've been doing here at Relatively Geeky since mid-2013, blame Paul. It is totally his fault. If you have any feedback on this episode or anything else related to February, or really anything else, don't hesitate to contact us. You can do that via email at relativelygeeky at gmail.com or as a comment on the Facebook or blog post for this episode. The blog is at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. All right, it is time for some Whovian Book Guys Rewind, right after this. No Agenda, the best. 
best podcast in the universe. Unhinged analysis. We can't use unhinged anymore. It strikes me. I get. I see it. Whoa. Unglued analysis. Unhinged. Updated to unglued. Oh, whose story is going to be better? And an unglued is better. I've got to say that the Torchwood Children of Earth was just, that was five great hours of TV, or five great episodes of TV. And I guess they ran them back to back to back, five nights in a row in England originally. And and five hours of TV that I never, ever want to watch again because the story was just so harsh and so dark. Oh, but it was, it was, it was emotional, that's for sure. I mean, it was sort of classic from that era. It moved me, it was a strong story brilliantly acted but it's just it was it, it affected me so i mean i guess russell T. I hear you i hear you it's going to be a while and it's been a couple of years since i've seen it it's going to be another couple of years i think before i can bring myself oh, to re-watch. watch it again it was just such a it did illustrate how necessary the doctor was to dealing with problems like this because the, the, the Children of Earth story where there was this huge moral, moral dilemma about giving our children to save the planet right. would not even have been an issue if the doctor had been there he would have just it would have it would have been an hour-long story where he fixed it, and that right. would have been the end of it. But because he wasn't around, suddenly we're in real right. trouble. We're faced with problems that we just can't cope with, and we're 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 led in, yes. in we're led down these paths that you know take us to very dark places. So I got to ask you, you two geniuses here who who built they did build the Daleks behind us. When are you making a canine? Not <laughs> on our list at the moment because we do have one in Toronto. <laughs> Okay. Okay. We we are after being with the Doctor Who Society. We want to be able to bring new stuff to the conventions and this okay. and that. So we do of a know of a fully functional canine mm-hmm. in Rexdale. So okay. uh, we do have to talk to him and see if we can get him, bring it down for um, a fan expo. One of those uh, one of the Christmas episodes. Then the next Doctor, where we ended up with some huge 
uh, Cyberman, 50 feet tall Cyberman, sort of almost a Japanese robot sort of right. model. <laughs> now that's that should be your next project, king? the Cyber King. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. I was just waiting for Godzilla to show up or Ultraman to fight that one. The, the, the Japanese, the Tokyo are, unit of Torchwood to come take that one down. They're a law unto themselves, the Christmas episodes. I just, I, I brace myself every time one is meant to come out and just kind of, yeah, okay, that yeah, that, yeah. that that just happened. And then, you know, wait for Doctor Who to actually start next year. Yeah. We, we've taken it upon ourselves to uh, never include anything we found in a Christmas episode. Um, because at the last show, there's someone say we should put a flying shark here. I go, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> how did how, Rob? How did you? How do you end up well, with a supreme dollar? <laughs> how did they end know, up with a supreme dollar in, in your living room? A friend of mine found um, the website that uh, almost every Dalek builder has uh, has used called ProjectDalek.co.uk and said, Rob, do you want to build a Dalek? And I said, Yes. Yes, I do. Um, There's no other answer to that question. <laughs> no other answer to that question. <laughs> um, so um, we, we worked on that for probably about 10 months to get it looking like a doll, as you kind of see it standing here in front of you right now. Um, and at that point, he didn't really do anything. He just looked, you know, it was it was just the shell. He was totally foot powered. You know, not, there was no no electronics or recognition or anything. It just looked like a Dalek. Right. It, it looked like the props. And you know, then you just kind of I, I just kind of wanted to keep going. So then I added. <laughs> I asked a friend of mine in Britain who was an electrical engineer, and I said, you know, I built a Dalek. I need a voice mod. And he's like, give me a week. He sent me this thing, I, I, two weeks later I had it, I sounded like a Dalek. And then the question was, what do you do with this thing once you've got right. it? It just kind of sat in my living room for the longest time. And, we, and uh, somebody else um, told me about these um, fan conventions that were going on. You know, I showed up at Fan Expo in Toronto, which is the biggest, you know, fan, you know sort of Comic-Con thing in Canada. And no, no real idea what I was going to, going to find. And I, we showed, I showed up in the Dalek, I was in it, and every time I went out, I was surrounded by a circle of hundreds of people taking photographs and wanting yes. to pose with it. And I just, I was shocked. I was completely shocked. I thought I'd get a few, you know, interested, you know, nods and, you know, a few people wanting maybe some pictures or something like that. You know, we'd formed the Doctor Who Society, so I was kind of, I was now, you know, working with them as, as you know, as sort of the Dalek in residence promoting the Doctor Who Society. And uh, one, our, one of our founders, you know, she works in the, in the TV industry, and she, and she was like, you know, that's Colin Ferguson over there. You know, he, his, one of his shows is on space, you know, the Canadian, like, network. We should, you know, maybe give him a shout out, you know, and I, yeah, why not? So I drove around in the Dalek kind of saying, you know, humans are ordered to watch, you know, uh, Eureka on the Space Channel. And he... And he saw that, and he was so tickled by it, he invited me back to sit with him in the booth where he was busy signing autographs right. for fans. So it was the two of <laughs> us great. sitting in this booth, and yeah, he, I mean, just you know, nattering back and forth for half an hour, and he kind of, you know, he, you know, he was, you know, rubbing hand sanitizer on him, and, and he said, "Dalek, do you want a little bit of this?" And I was like, "Yes." And so he like, rubbed my, you know, <laughs> rubbed my plunger with a hand sanitizer, and now I can't ever change that plunger because you know Colin Ferguson touched it, so I can't ever mess with it now. It's there for life. Partway through that, Mark got in, in touch with me. My story is not that dissimilar. It's a little strange. Uh, my son, he's a 15-year-old. 
he comes up to me and it was he just finished his exams, final exams in high school, and he said, uh, "Dad, let's do something." I said, "We we usually do one project a year." I said, okay, what do you want to do? He says, I want to build a Dalek. <laughs> a what? <laughs> and, and he says, well, I found this website, you know, uh, projectdalek.co.uk. And I went on and I looked and I thought, well, this is pretty fantastic. You know, this is something we can do. I do have a full workshop. I, I For a living, I build aircraft. So we have the hangar and the space and everything else. Does it else. fly? Uh, yeah, trying on that one. So, version two. <laughs> so I just I said, uh, okay, well, here's the plans. We have to pick one, but you know, being who I am and the type of person I am, I don't want something anyone else has. Right. It, it has to be a little bit different, and we have the capability. Dreadnought actually came from sketches from the 1993 30th anniversary movie wow. Into the Dark Dimension. So the sketches lived on, and I said to him, I said, well, let's take these sketches. I am going to do something with the arms where they do shoot. We're going to make it interactive. So I need the arms to move, and that was probably the biggest change. We move the arms out so I can rotate them right. above the heads of children, you know, yes, as a yes, safety yes. feature. A lot of exactly. it has been true to the sketches, yeah. And as you saw I, earlier... You know, I, I that extermination, I honestly... I, <laughs> I'm surprised the hat didn't fly off. There's quite a bit of how much how much power is behind that. Is, I'm, I'm assuming it's compressed air. It, it is CO2, so carbon dioxide. Uh, it's actually a very high pressure system. There is two diverters and diffusers into there. We built the same into Rob's as well. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So yeah, it's it's just under a thousand psi. Um, you can stand very close with the diffuser and not get hurt. Rob had full blueprints, and every model you've ever seen on TV does have the full blueprints to it on the on the project dialogue wow. website so we had the sketches to work from and some rough measurements on what we wanted and it was only i think a couple of days after that i found out rob was close to me so i searched him on the internet got a hold of him and we went over and saw mm -hmm. Oric. Yep. and Oric was a great help to us you know on how we were going to do things so Dreadnought, you know, I was thinking it was going to be a two-week project turned into eight months full-time, <laughs> um, which I needed a break anyway, so it was good for me. Uh, and there he is. Brilliant. But he is massive. And there's a lot of lights on it. How many lights are on there? There are 1,500 lights onto him. He's got oh. a full CO2 system, 50 PSI water system. He does have headlights um, because I can't see low enough, so I need headlights on him. And a uh, 600-watt sound system. Um, it, it, there was a convention in Rochester that we had, we got invited to last fall, and it was the first time we'd taken the dogs outside of Canada. So we, you know, got everything together. You know, arrived at the at the border in the evening, and of course we haul these dogs around in Mark's uh, trailer, which is designed to carry aircraft. So it's it's quite substantial, covered in pictures of aircraft on the side. Right. Um, so, of course, the border guards, you know, first question is, you know, what's in the trailer? And Mark gave the best answer I, I, I could ever have thought of, which was our costumes. And they were like, what? <laughs> we're going to a, a, a Doctor Who convention, the trailer has our costumes in it. And the border guard okay. was like, 
yeah, open that up, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we go around, and of course we open up the door. In retrospect, that may not have been the best answer ever. <laughs> no, it, it really was, because instead of getting the piece of paper saying, go over there, it says, get out of your vehicle and open this up. <laughs> so we open the doors up, and the customs officer kind of looks in, and he looks at us. Now remember, there is no one in line behind us at this border. Not, not, a, not a person. We're, it was late. It was fairly late at night. Right. We're the only, more or less, the only ones there. And he looks in, and he looks at us. And he kind of looks in and looks at us and looks in again, and then looks over at his colleagues and goes, "Guys, come on over here. You got to see this." <laughs> the booths so, start emptying so out. Every border guard starts coming over to, to and to they close the lanes. Down. And they closed all the lanes down. So at the end, we had you know half a dozen of the border guards looking in this thing, kind of walking around them, checking them out. And the line of traffic at the border is getting longer <laughs> and longer and longer. And then eventually, the guard goes, "Okay, I guess we got to actually you know finish this up." Uh, Nice. They, they had a backlog to deal with, but that was our that was our experience going through. So we kept those guys. You know, that was obviously the highlight of their evening. If big hit at the border, big yeah. hit at the border. Yeah. So yeah, if you're if you're to be fair, the Daleks do consider themselves weapons of mass destruction. They, they do. They so do. Yep. absolutely, yep. Yep. they would be disappointed if they were just waved on through. Yeah, they, yeah. they do want a little bit of respect, right? And, yes. and of course, as soon as you open up the back slider door from the trailer, the guns are pointing at the guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Is that plunger loaded, yeah, sir? Exactly. <laughs>
Now, I don't read a lot of war stories or watch war movies or even read war comic books. But then I heard author Mike Cole on a recent episode of I Should Be Writing, hosted by friend of the show, former book guy's guest, Mer Lafferty. Oh. But uh, Mike described his Shadow Ops series as military fantasy. And okay. with that concept, I was hooked. So I grabbed the audio of the first book in that series, Control Point, and a few hours in, I'm totally enjoying it. So it's military. It follows an officer in the military's, not special ops, yeah. supernatural ops, fighting magical enemies inside and outside. But it has that real military structure feel to it. And it's nice. really interesting. So it's not high fantasy with wizards and elves and orcs, you know, Dungeons and Dragons type fantasy. It's, you know, legitimate military novel with some magic thrown in. You have opened my eyes, Professor. Let me tell you, I, it's like, you know, they say military intelligence. <laughs> that's like a, you know, that's so <laughs> right. silly. But when you say military fantasy, I never think of the military as being an entity that fantasizes about just having this creepy supernatural power to be this and that. That's, that's really awesome. I love that. I'm going to have to check this out. And Professor Allen, you've done a, an interview this week. Professor Allen here's got some kind of really cool insight into a literature type dude. Yes, I spoke to one of my favorite people in comic book podcasting. You can fall asleep now, Sir Jimmy. Oh. And Doctor <laughs> Who fandom. So. Yes. Oh, goodness sake. All right, let me get my uh, morphine drip. <laughs> he goes by the name The Irredeemable Shag. Nice. And I talked to him for about a half hour or so, and we talked about a ton of Doctor Who books, audio, and comic books. And he tells the story about that time that he and Nick Briggs got engaged. Oh, well, that, you know what? That's all I can say. So we'll, uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with Nick Briggs getting engaged. This is Professor Allen. This is an exclusive Book Guys interview. I'm talking with one of my favorite podcasters and internet nerds, Shag. Uh, that's the irredeemable Shag. Thank you very much. Welcome to the book, guys. We're glad to have you. I'm I'm really excited. This is this is great. You have a you have a marvelous green room, by the way. I'm very impressed. <laughs> that's quite a spread. Quite a don't, spread. Don't let the Dalek scare you. <laughs> just just want to know what you do with that plunger in your off hours. Hey, now, just <laughs> just be polite, and everything will be okay. <laughs> When I was thinking about trying to get some guests onto the show, I'm thinking, about what's the book guys about? It's about books and comic books and audio books and the occasional Doctor Who podcasts. And I figured that's pretty much everything that you like. <laughs> so you seemed a pretty reasonable guest. You guys are pretty much in my wheelhouse, that's for sure. I've been podcasting now for a few years. I am a member of the Who True Freaks, which is a Doctor Who themed podcast over on the Two True Freaks Network. I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with it. I am a pretty big Doctor Who fan, I would say. I've been watching the show since I was about 12 years old and attended a couple of conventions. I own hundreds and hundreds of Doctor Who novels, probably read over 200 of them. I've listened to something like, I don't know, 500 hours of audio dramas. Oh, I have a 12-foot Doctor Who scarf, you know, a Sylvester McCoy umbrella, comics, the whole, whole shebang. You know, my kids were brought up on it. In fact, you know, another reason that qualifies me to be your guest is I am a, um, I'm Nick Briggs' fiancé. He, I know he was on your show a while back, and he and I got engaged at the Gallifrey One convention. Uh, 
<laughs> I suppose that I think there's a longer story there. Should I go ahead and tell it? When we talked to Nick, he didn't mention you. Ouch. I mean, are, is there is there an issue there we need to address? I think I need to address it. I didn't realize I, I meant that little to him. Now, at the Gallifrey One convention, we were you know at a big finish panel, and I can't close my mouth. So, of course, I wanted to ask questions. So I raised my hand, and I asked a question. I don't remember what it was about. I think it was about CDs versus downloads. Anyway, someone in the back of the room couldn't hear the question. And they yelled, what did he say? And Nick looks up and goes, oh, you couldn't hear the question. He asked me to marry him. And the whole audience just lost it. And it became like a gag for like 15 minutes of him asking who would marry who on the panel. And it was hilarious. And so, and this continued throughout the weekend. Like I ran into him when I went to, I went to go get something signed and he's like, Oh, it's my future husband. You know, it's just like, it just became a funny gag. So I, I consider myself his fiance. So my wife's okay with it. I mean, she, she understands it's a Dalek. You don't say no. You're in Florida. So I think a- anything goes from what I can tell. That is so not fair. <laughs> now we usually start our episodes with a, what are you reading segment? So Novel, nonfiction, comic book. I can't read. <laughs> That's why I like comic books. There's pretty pictures and audio dramas. So, no, um, so what's on the nightstand? What's on your e-reader? Just finished Star Trek Vanguard by David Mack, uh, the first volume in that sort of spinoff series. Someone kind of got me interested in trying it. It was okay. It wasn't great, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. I could see the potential there. I do like Star Trek original fiction, especially when it's a new direction, so enjoy that. Next one, as far as novels go, is a Jack McDevitt book. I really enjoy his Alex Benedict series. Are you familiar with it? I haven't read any, but I've give seen you the yeah. give you you know the elevator pitch. Basically, far, far, far future. Human race has expanded in the galaxy, and he is sort of an archaeologist slash xeno archaeologist. And he goes back and and looks up relics that are like ten thousand years old, but they're still in the future to us. So he may go look right. up something that's far, far in our future, but to them it's ten thousand years old. So there's there's a little bit of Indiana Jones. There's a little <laughs> bit of Dan Brown's sort of conspiracy stuff, and there's a lot of sci-fi in it. It's fun. I really enjoy it. So the next one up for me is The Devil's Eye. came out in 2008. I'm just getting around to it. And talking about Star Trek books and even Doctor Who books, just in general, sort of a broad question, when you're looking at an expanded universe type of scenario, what, mm-hmm. what do you look for? What, what, what makes it good? What makes it bad? Wow, that's a great question. Yeah, because I've fallen in love with the Star Wars, Star Trek, and Doctor Who expanded universes. Beyond that, I, I struggle with a lot of expanded universes. Mm-hmm. They have to be bold enough to create their own continuity. You know, you, you can't do just a series of books that are one-offs that are fun. Like I'll give you, here's a, here's a great example. Okay. Dr. Who, when the new series came out in 2005, they changed the whole direction of their expanded universe fiction. Right. And I've barely read any of them because they're not developing anything anymore. It's just, you enjoy the show, read a book. It's kind of the way it works. That's not an expanded universe to me. You need to be expanding to me to developing characters, creating new characters, creating continuity of your own. But that's what I'm looking for in an expanded universe. I've I've read a handful of the new uh, Doctor Who's mm-hmm. uh, books, and I got a feeling with one of them, and I I really I can't remember which one. I might not throw it under the bus anyway. But there seemed to be one that was basically a sci-fi story that yeah. the author took off the shelf, threw uh-huh. in a little bit of Doctor Who, That's and was able and 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 was able to sell it that way. It was just sort of the impression I got as a reader that it was not inherently a Doctor Who story. I could totally believe that. Um, they're designed to be one and dones, so a, a lot of that, and they've also pulled in some new writers. Now, some of them are long-term writers that have written for the previous Doctor Who iterations. Right. Doctor Who's been publishing original fiction since the – well, not original fiction. It's been publishing novels since the 70s when they started doing the target novelizations. And I don't know if you've ever read any of those. Those are uh, near and dear to my heart. They were essentially just real quick screenplays of the, of the, of the book, of the episodes. 
I got to tell you, that is, in thinking about my Doctor Who fandom, it's mm-hmm. quite possible. Now, we're talking, you know, 35 plus years ago, and sometimes reality is not exactly as you remember it. Mm-hmm. But given that, I am pretty sure that those novelizations were my entry into Doctor Who. Because I, overse- really? I was overseas in the mid-70s, and so I, I didn't see the show until the late 70s on PBS. But looking back, doing some sort of research, looking back, I recognize these titles, and I recognize mm. these, these covers. I certainly recognize the logo mm-hmm. that is on some of those. So to me, the, a lot of the you know, Terrence Dicks oh, yeah. um, novelizations, whether they were uh, Pertwee's or a lot of Tom Baker's, I'm pretty sure that's how I discovered Doctor Who was through the books. That is so cool. That's such an interesting way. I don't think I've ever met anyone who came upon the show that way. Because at that point, I was reading anything science fiction, anything time travel, anything. And, you know, you got, you know, whether it's a dinosaur on the cover or, a, <laughs> you know, some huge headed alien, I picked it up. Once I figured out it was a series, and I have no idea if this was at the, the English language library or the school library or where exactly. My dad picked them up somewhere along the way at the PX or something. I have no idea sort of how I got these, but. And, and even thinking back about old episodes, I recognize the titles, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I haven't seen the episodes. You know, so uh, you know, I'm sort of putting two and two together and coming up with, I must have read a ton of those books when I was 10, 11, 12. Well, you know, the funny thing is with the books, the special effects are a lot better than the show. So <laughs> you, you came about it in a good way. The, the Target novels are directly responsible for my passion for reading. Because when I was That's a kid, right. reading was, yeah, you know, whatever. But when I discovered the Doctor Who show and very quickly the books, I became a voracious reader. I would just tear through those things because there's – I don't know. I knew the number at some point. It's like 170 of these books or something right. or other. And they're fun. They're, I mean they're nothing deep. But an 11 <laughs> – like you said, an 11-year-old can tear through them and just live inside those pages and just see the whole world. So, And you mentioned Terrence Dix. I'm glad you did. He worked on the old school show, but he wrote probably more of those novelizations than anyone else. His name became synonymous with them. So just to continue the book Expanded Universe, to go on that theory real quick, or thought try. When the show went off the air in 1989, the series got picked up, if you will, in book form in 1991 by Virgin Publishing. They did a series called The New Adventures, and this featured the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, the little guy with the umbrella. And they told what they called stories that were too broad and too deep for the small screen. That was new Doctor Who. There was no denying it. There was nothing else out there other than Doctor Who magazine, which had some comic strips. This was new Who. Now... It's a book guy show, so I have some quick recommendations of books if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. I'm going to go through them real quick because I'm going to hit all the different series. So from uh, the Virgin Publishing New Adventures, if you want to try them out, some ones I'd recommend. Uh, Blood Heat by Jim Mortimer. It's an alternate reality store with Silurians. All-Consuming Fire by Andy Lane. It's got Sherlock Holmes in it. I mentioned oh, whoa, Taren- whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a, uh-huh. Doctor, there's a Doctor Who Sherlock Holmes crossover. To be fair, I haven't read these books probably in 20 years, but – I have very vivid memories of them. I enjoyed them. So did they hold up? I can't promise you that. But, man, 20 years ago, they were the bomb. So, <laughs> Terrence, Terrence Dix, that we just mentioned, him, he wrote an original novel called Blood Harvest, which was about the vampires, which was really good. Now, here's a name you might know, Paul Cornell. Oh, of course. Who's written several episodes of the New Who, if you will, series. And a uh, prolific comic book writer as well. Mm-hmm, exactly. The David Tennant episode called Human Nature right. was, was actually a New Adventures book first. I've heard of that, mm-hmm. but you've read, but you actually came up upon it first. Yeah. So read the book, and later on was when when they announced the next episode. I'm like, huh, what? 
Uh, then you've got Love and War, which also by Paul Cornell introduced a character named Bernice Summerfield who became incredibly important in the Doctor Who Expanded Universe. And then i got to mention this one little book. It's not the greatest book in the world. However, it's be- worth mentioning. It's called Damaged Goods, and it's written by uh, a new writer at the time named Russell T. Davies. Yeah. Mark Gatiss wrote some, who's involved with Sherlock and Doctor Who, Gary Russell, all those folks. So alongside the New Adventures line, Virgin also published a Missing Adventure series, which was backstories about Doctors 1 through right. 6. A few recommendations for you on those. Who Killed Kennedy by James Stevens and David Bishop. There is no question mark in that title, by the way. Yes. <laughs> it's really good, actually. It's, it's, the Doctor's not actually in it a lot, but it's about the Doctor universe. Oh, it's so good. Then there's a three-book cycle that I have to mention called Romance of Crime, English Way of Death, and Well-Mannered War. All written by Gareth Roberts. It stars the fourth Doctor and the second Romana and Canine. It's at season 17, which does not have a very good reputation. Right. These books literally, like you read them, it's, it's that faithful to the show, but good. You know, it, it feels like seven, <laughs> season 17 done right. Like you can see the sets shake when you're reading the book in your head. In fact, it's so good. I just found out last night when I was preparing for the show that they've got Tom Baker and Lala Ward back with John Leeson, and they're going to adapt them for Big Finish. Terrific. Cold Fusion, which is a crossover between the Fifth Doctor and the Seventh Doctor by Lance Parkin, which is really cool because those are two weird doctors to have together. Before they lost the license, they also published some anthologies. Just one more name to mention. uh, In one of those anthologies, in Decalogue Volume 3, is a story by a little-known guy named Stephen Moffat. Hey! Exactly. (laughs) So, Company and Telos did a bunch of original novellas. In 1996, BBC took over the license and published their own original fiction with the Eighth Doctor after the TV movie. Run through a few of those if you don't mind real quick. Sure. 73 books in that series, by the way. Uh, Vampire Science by Kate Orman and John Bloom involves vampires. Really good stuff. Alien Bodies. Seriously, guys, go read Alien Bodies by Lawrence Miles. Find it. Just stop listening to this show. No, you know what? Don't do that. This is a good show. (laughs) But go find Lawrence Miles' Miles' book, Alien Bodies. It changed the face of Doctor Who original fiction. This guy was so creative, took the book in a direction that people weren't ready for, and it's amazing. And uh, Stephen Moffat owes Lawrence Miles some credit. I'm just going to leave it at that. The Turing Test by Paul Leonard, Father Time by Lance Parkin. Sorry, running through those quickly. A lot of those are part of a cycle where the Doctor loses his memory. Oh, Great. Okay. It was very good stuff. The City of the Dead by Lloyd Rose, and I just had to mention those. Great stuff. They also did some past Doctor books. Uh, there's some great ones by Mike Tucker and Robert Perry with The Seventh Doctor. Go check those out. I've talked too much about those. I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give an endorsement to one more book. If you're not interested in the old stuff that I just rambled on about and you're a new Doctor Who fan, uh, an 11th Doctor book, which was exceptional. I read it, I don't know, it's about a year or two old. It's called The Silent Stars Go By by Dan Abnett. Oh, okay. It's the Doctor, Amy, and Rory on a snowy world in, confronting the Ice Warriors. And it doesn't really contradict anything from the new series when they brought the Ice Warriors back, and it, and it, it all fits in nicely. And in terms of new Who, we have to mention Nick Briggs wrote a novel. Yes, he did. And, uh, I read it. It was good. The Dalek Generation, it was called. And sort of, and the, the premise is that there's a planet out there that, for whatever reason... The Daleks have actually been benevolent rulers to. Hmm. And so when the Doctor shows up to make war on the Daleks, he, of course, is the invading bad guy. That's fascinating. I thought it was a great, a great concept, and he delivered it pretty well. It's sitting on my shelf. I haven't read it yet. That yeah. sounds really, really good. Now, over on the Who True Freaks podcast, you've already done huge recap of the 50th and the end of the year and all of that. But I did want to talk to you just for a bit about what you must have thought of as seven minutes of awesome. 
the night, <laughs> the night of the doctor. Because I know you were the first tweeter and Facebooker that I saw. So tell us, because I, I know you are a fan of McGann. I lost my mind. I totally lost my mind. A friend of mine sent it to me. Yes, Night of the Doctor, it, it, they released it on the web. None of us knew it was coming at all. And a buddy of mine just sent me a message that says, Shag, you need to watch this. So I did, and I was, I was, I was getting ready for work. I work from home. So I was, I was in my kitchen, and I was making a, a, a mug of, of tea, actually. And I started watching it. And you hear Paul McGann's voice say, you know, I'm a doctor, but not the one you're expecting. And he's in the shadows, and you don't see him when he starts to talk. Well, I've listened to so many of these audio dramas. I know these guys' voices backwards and forwards. The moment I heard him say, I'm a doctor, I literally came within a, <laughs> an inch of dropping that mug of tea all over the floor. Just like, <gasps> the, the way everyone else reacted when they heard Tom Baker's voice? Yes. That was yes. you the, a couple days before. Yeah, absolutely. I... I watched it. I'm embarrassed. I like sort of ran and skipped around the house, just like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> you know, like um, if you've seen Despicable Me, the little girl who gets the toy. My kids love this. And they go, oh, he's so fluffy, I'm gonna die. It was like that. I mean, I just lost my mind running around the house. And then I had to sit down. I rewatched it again to make sure I didn't just imagine it or wasn't a fan <laughs> film or something, you know. And then immediately got on the internet and told the world to go watch it and didn't tell them why. I said you need to watch this now before someone spoils it. Just watch it. <laughs> so it was excellent. It was incredible. Seeing Paul McGann in the role again made me so happy because he's such a great actor. And people don't know it if they don't know about the audios. He's been living this character since 1999. He did the 96 movie, came back. It was, it was around 99. I don't remember exactly when for Big Finish. And he's been doing it constantly ever since. He's, he is part of the Doctor Who family. He's not just some guy who did it one time. Oh. And, and my impression is that that surprised him when he started doing conventions maybe in the mid-2000s. Seemed like he was surprised by how many fans he had. Most, yeah, mostly off almost exclusively from the audios. And I'll, uh, my impression on this, and this is not—I have not read this anywhere. So this is just me. So someone's listening who knows Paul. Don't be mad. This is just me guessing. But like, I got the sense that he wasn't in love with the Doctor Who situation. You know, he did the movie. It didn't work. He probably wasn't happy about it. He came back. You know, he did some audios. It was fine. Whatever. Didn't have a huge passion for it though. But somewhere along the lines, and I think you're exactly right. I think it was the conventions that did it. Somewhere along the lines, his passion for this grew. He clearly loves the world of Doctor Who now. It took time. But man, he's he is his heart's so into it. He was the guy who was fighting as the doctor from ninety six to exactly. two thousand five. Exactly. Keeping the show alive. He was the main guy. It's, it's wonderful to hear interviews with him and how passionate he is about it now. So it's great. As long as the interviewer doesn't ask dumb questions. If the interviewer <laughs> asks dumb questions, you can see he has no use for those people. <laughs> now, especially now that those adventures, which Nick Briggs always maintained were canon, have been <laughs> officially recognized as canon. Are there any story arcs or stories from the McGann era on Big Finish that you would in particular recommend? Absolutely, absolutely. If you want to try out McGann on, on Big Finish, I'm, there's a couple different jumping on points. The first one I would recommend is literally his first one. It's called Storm Morning. I want to say written by Alan Barnes. Great story. It's about the R101. If you don't know it, if you don't know your British history, it's sort of like the Hindenburg. And he rescues a girl from that ship. And it starts him on a path that is wonderful. You don't necessarily have to listen to all of them in order after that. If you don't want to listen to everything, I would go from Storm Morning, jump straight to Chimes of Midnight, which is quite possibly one of the best audio dramas I've ever heard in my life. I've heard that. Chimes of Midnight is incredible, and I am doing somebody a disservice because I don't have the author's name at my fingertips, so I apologize for that. There's a few other ones that are good. I'm, I'm sorry. There's a lot that are good, but a few I would recommend <laughs> real quickly. Not Terra Firma, but Terror Firma is a great one. It was sort of a relaunching of McGann's third or fourth season. I don't remember. 
after a long storyline ended, he was starting back on some more of straightforward adventures. It's got Davros and the Daleks, and Davros is losing right. his mind. Very good stuff. <laughs> if you don't want to fiddle around with that stuff, the place to jump in and do a whole series would be the line called The Eighth Doctor Adventures. They ever, all the other ones I just mentioned were part of the main range. They did a line called The Eighth Doctor Adventures with a character called Lucy Miller, played by Sheridan Smith. They had four seasons. I cannot recommend those highly enough. They, they decided at that point to say, we're going to do more Doctor Who, but rather than doing the two-hour format we've been doing all this time, we're going to do one-hour episodes. We're going to sort of pace them like the TV show. And that whole line, this, again, four seasons long with Sheridan Smith called Eighth Doctor Adventures. You can find it on the Big Finish website. Excellent stuff. And right now, Paul's adventures are being chronicled in a storyline called Dark Eyes. They've been releasing these box sets. So those are, those are what I'd recommend if you want to pick up the Eighth Doctor stuff. When we, uh, when we talked to uh, Nick Briggs, we did not go into the side series uh-huh. that Jago and Lightfoot's or some of the companion series. A couple of those stories or series that aren't specifically the Doctor but are in the universe that you found compelling sure. or interesting. Yeah, if you're a if you're a Doctor Who fan, even tangentially, there is a side series for you. I promise. I mean, they've got stuff out there that are specific to Tom Baker. I won't say all of those are great, but I will say many of them are. They've got lost stories, which is where they find old scripts. Wow. Yeah, That's interesting a great stuff. Idea. If you love Sarah Jane, and let me tell you, every time Liz Layton's on the screen, she finds a way to make me cry. She did a series before she got her own TV show, before Doctor Who came back. She did a right. series, which I really enjoy. It's a little darker, some language in it. I'm glad you mentioned Jago and Lightfoot. That would be my number one recommendation. Jago and Lightfoot is an absolute hoot. If you enjoyed Talons of Wang Chiang, there were two characters in there. There was the theater owner, Jago, and there was the um, doctor, the guy who did the autopsies, Lightfoot. And they were a really odd combination. And they were funny on screen, very endearing. Well, they've got those actors back together. They're like a million years old. And they are recording the most wonderful, endearing stories. They're on, I don't know, they're on like the sixth series of these things now. They are so funny. I, I, I had never tried it until last year, and I fell in love. It was just a testimony for it. We were Gallifrey One, and they asked the audience, you know, what side series would you recommend to a friend? And Jago and Lightfoot was the, the number one one everyone would recommend to a friend. If you like the Daleks, try Dalek Empire. There's four series of those. I wholeheartedly endorse the first two. The others aren't bad, but the first two are really, really good. Also, if you like the Daleks, there's a four-disc four series called I, Davros. They oh, brought wow. Terry Malloy back. It's, a, it's Davros's origin, and it's all about how Davros becomes who he is. That thing is amazing. I love I, Davros. I could listen to that over and over and over and over. There's tons of these things. So anything you like about Doctor Who, it's out there. I promise. In addition to the main range, I, I can't stop. I'm so passionate about this stuff. You know, at breakfast this morning, oddly enough, my 14-year-old goes, hey, what's a radio play? <laughs> it's like, really? What? <laughs> like, where did that come from? How, how interesting timings. Apparently, they're learning about it in school. So in addition to the main range, they've had a line called the Companion Chronicles, which is 80 discs long. This, this, might even, this might even appeal to book lovers more. Each one's individual. There's no continuity to it, really. Okay. Essentially, it is a companion from the show. Not reading a story. They're sort of narrating the story, but they're also acting it at the same right. time. Those right. actually have become my favorite ongoing range. Let me run by a couple of the theories that we've been kicking around on the show. Or some, okay. of, our, some of our Peter Capaldi thoughts in particular. Mm. That uh, Paul the Book Guy and I have been tossing back and forth. And, and one is, I think you've actually mentioned this on Who Two Freaks, or it has been brought up, our official book guy position <laughs> is, that, is that Capaldi is going to be great and not as popular. I agree wholeheartedly. You, you know, that he's not going to hit some of those fan demographics. I've, I've moderated this a little bit after the 50th, mm -hmm. and I think that 
the John Hurt appearance. <laughs> was... Those are some pretty pretty impressive eyebrows. That scene, <laughs> those, those two seconds changed exactly. my life. I kid you not. <laughs> no, I meant the John Hurt appearance. Okay, made an older doctor who was pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And I think people who may have had a immediate reaction of well, this guy's twenty five years older than the two last heartthrobs we've had. Mm-hmm. You know, they saw a guy who was 35, 40, 50 years older be awesome. Yeah. And I, and I think maybe Capaldi at least gets a look yeah. from some of those fans who may have turned it off immediately. I think that's fair. And there's going to be a whole legion of haters who just want to hate. That's the right. way it rolls. It happens every time. I, 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 I tried to create a, a term in the lexicon called New Doctor Jitters, which is regardless <laughs> of who the new actor is, you're nervous. You can't help it. You're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this guy. I mean, I remember the first time David Tennant came on. In, you know, in my mind, yeah. I don't know if I'm going to like this guy. I don't know. Pfft, yeah, okay. Uh, that worked out for me. I think everyone's going to be nervous. I think you're right. There's a demographic. I mean, Tumblr is going to take the biggest hit yeah. it's ever had because <laughs> um, there's no going to be swooning over a 10 and 11 anymore. So you're going to lose some of that. You're right. But his acting is going to shine through. I mean, I've said it before, and I apologize if people have heard me say it, but this is the first guy to come to the table with an Academy Award already. Yeah. So, I mean, this is not a lightweight guy. This is not just some guy they found in the soup kitchen line. This is this is an established actor. I mean, if you go watch um, it was In the Thick of It. Is that what it's called? Uh, you'll get an idea how powerful this guy can command a room. But even as a Weasley sort of political guy in the Torchwood Children of Earth, he again commanded the screen when he was on it. Yeah. Even Even with a character who was weak as an actor, he was strong in portraying that guy's weakness. I think he's going to be exceptional. I cannot wait. I, if, I'm I'm yeah, ready to move on. That's fair. And if you can get an opening episode as good as the eleventh hour, wasn't that so good? You know, I think maybe you know maybe he can get people to stick because, like you say, especially after the fiftieth and the huge numbers they got, people are going to watch. Yep. And if and if he can deliver, or if Moffat can deliver as good an episode as that one, where again you got like you said, new Doctor Jitters, one hour of TV, and I was I was all in on Matt Smith. There's something interesting about the first season of every new Doctor, at least for me. It's so wild and untamed and full of energy right. that sort of changes as time goes on. Like if you look at David Tennant's first season, you look at Matt Smith's first season, heck, go back and look at Tom Baker's first season. Each one of those are so wild and full of energy, and the actor is just you, – you just can't help but look at them. They're just so – controlling everything whereas later on it sort of becomes a lot of emoting at the camera and oh life's so hard and the weight of the world's on their back you know when before they're just having adventures i hope some of that carries through for capaldi i hope it's just you know wild and frenetic and just you, you feel like you're just trying to you're, you're holding on by your fingertips to keep up with this amazingly wild man you know madman with a box now on the uh, on the internet you were also a comic book dude Aww. so to transition are there some Doctor Who comics before we talk about other comics. There's not a ton out there. Yeah, you, primarily the comic was kept alive through Doctor Who magazine in comic strip form. And they've collected that over the years. Marvel collected some. They collected some themselves in these giant Doctor Who classic comic stuff. Uh, and more recently, IDW picked up the license for Doctor Who comic right. books here in the United States. In 2008, they did this great miniseries called The Forgotten, written by Tony Lee. And it was a 10th Doctor story with Martha. But there were a ton of flashbacks. Like it would flash back and there'd be a little short story with the first Doctor and a short story with the second Doctor. And so you threw on all up, up through ten. And that was a lot of fun. Tony Lee really gets how to write Doctor Who comic books because while Doctor Who's adventures are very animated, if you will, it's hard to write a Doctor Who comic because I can tell you I've read some that I don't even remember. Yeah, I, read, I, I, I read one of his, uh, Tony Lee, called Fugitive, 
which was mm-hmm. a, a tenth Doctor story as well. And I agree, he he knows his Doctor Who lore, and he in 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 that he was able to weave that history into the ongoing story. And I'm only, I'm going to give an endorsement for one more. This is an eleventh Doctor story. It's a series that came out in 2011. It's eleventh Doctor. It's an issue number twelve. It's called Silent Night with a K, and it's a Christmas story, also written by Tony Lee. It is a silent comic book. Ah. And it's a story about him trying to help Santa Claus. As he would. It is now one of my favorite Doctor Who comics, actually. I decided to give, treat myself to a Doctor Who marathon of Christmas specials the other night. <laughs> I was watching one, and someone was asking the Doctor. Uh, it was on the Voyage of the Damned. And I never understood what he said. He goes, you know, he's, someone goes, what's this Christmas all about? He said, I should know. Rah, 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 rah. I'm like, what do you say? And I've never been able to understand. Well, I realize Netflix has subtitles. <laughs> So I turned it on, and he goes, I should know, I was there. I got the last room. <laughs> exactly. It gets funnier the more you think about it. <laughs> Sorry, that was a little bit of a sidetrack, but crack me up. I've, I've got another uh, a graphic novel collection. I haven't broken it open yet called The Ripper. Oh, it, it's so good. Yeah, that's another Tony Lee 11th Doctor. And again, any of that Victorian, Sherlockian, you throw the Doctor in that, I, I am all in for that. That whole run, actually, that 2011 series, the, the, this this one I mentioned, Silent Night, and your Ripper, that's all from the same 12-issue run. Right. That whole 12-issue run is exceptional. Now, so you are a, a not just a Doctor Who comic fan, but a comic <laughs> fan in general. And we've mentioned the Who True Freaks uh, podcast. You've also got another po- a more comic-related podcast with former guest of the book guys, Rob Kelly. Wait a minute. You had him on the show first? Well, he, he actually wrote a book. I know you've, re- you've read a couple hundred, but he wrote one. So, <laughs> Yes, uh, Rob Kelly and I do a podcast together called the Fire and Water Podcast. It is a celebration of Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. And we produce a new episode every week. Comes out on Mondays. You can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, our websites, which is firestormfan.com and aquamanshrine.net. And we have an incredibly strong listening community. And we try and involve them in every way possible we can. They produce songs that we play on the show. We read their letters. It's very uh, collaborative, I would say, that show. That's what I was going to mention. The uh, I'm a teeny itsy bitsy portion of that active fan base. And uh, it is is probably the best podcasting fan community other than the book guy show <laughs> absolutely you guys are great <laughs> uh that i've run across like you said just and and these somewhat obscure comic book characters you think <laughs> firestorm and aquaman now, and yet I, there is passion in the fan bases so you can find that again at fire and water podcast on itunes or stitcher if you want to find me up on the social medias look for firestorm fan you can look me up on twitter google plus Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. So all of it's out there. Every, every time you mention Google+, Plus, I try to laugh a little bit like Rob Kelly does. Oh, nice, nice. No. Shockingly, because Google's so smart, they're forcing Google+, Plus to become more popular. <laughs> it's interesting. True. Like I, I was looking up hotels the other day, and it drove me to Google+. Plus. I'm like, what? But it's, uh, it's a growing community. So I have some friends at Google+, Plus that would uh, say you're, 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 you're causing fighting words there, sir. <laughs> well, glad to have you on the Book Guy Show. It was an honor. I sincerely appreciate it. I hope I don't leave too long of a stain on your show. <laughs> Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka, and you're listening to The Book Guys. Book Guys. Gee, Professor, that was a great interview. 
<laughs> Trust me, Paul. As soon as you listen to it, you will be writing down names of audio, names of books. It is an action-packed 30 minutes. Uh, 98 is coming up soon. Survivor man Les Stroud is going to join us. Come he on. created his own genre. I mean, who's done that? That's right. I mean, he used to do seven days in the wilderness with like a bag of salt, two cameras, and a knife. But, you know, he doesn't bring a Kindle or an iPad or, you know, anything else. But the cool part is he's filming it all himself. I mean, the visuals might not be as, as awesome as some other survival guy who has a camera crew who's down at the bottom when he jumps off of a, right. uh, a, like a waterfall. But when, when Les walks into the sunset and they show a time-lapse photography of him walking off into a snowbank like three or four hundred yards away, this guy, he's got to walk back and get the camera. And then walk back to where he was. Right, right. It's a lot of work. It's diligence. And like I said, he created the genre. Thank you, all of our listeners, all of our Twitter followers, all of anyone who's ever helped us and been part of this uh, scenario. Thank you so much. We really, uh, I appreciate, we appreciate every moment you've spent listening to us, uh, every moment that you've spent uh, talking to us. Thank you, Nick Briggs over at Big Finish and for joining us as well. Thanks, BBC. Thanks, everyone that has ever joined us and helped us. And That one guy that talks like the Daleks. Yeah, that's him. Jimmy has just exhausted his knowledge of Doctor Who. That's yes, right. I did. And yeah. thank you, Jimmy. Thank you, Alan. That's episode oh. 97 in the can. It's about that time. 097 is out. 098 back uh, for episode 98 maybe the same book book time and uh, I think the same book channel stay tuned book readers and book listeners book guide show will return next week same book time same book channel welcome to Dalek relaxation for humans take a deep breath in through your nose I'm slowing down your breathing into a calm rhythm. Inhale, you are becoming more and more calm. Exhale, you are feeling more and more relaxed. Inhale.